One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. If I was to direct you to the best summary out there, the best summary out there of the budget, uh, what's in it for you, what's not in it for you, what's in it for others, I would be sending you this morning not to a newspaper, although they've all got their usual uh, coverage, Irish Independent, pages and pages, 32 pages of Budget 22. The headline uh, on the Independent is Giveaway Gamble. The Mirror has a different lead story, but it has quite a three or four pages on how it affects you. Irish Daily Mail has a headline that says, Gone Before You Can Get It, Budget Boosts for Parents, Pensioners and Workers, etc., etc. The Echo has Budget to Secure Our Recovery as its front page story, with Mary Corcoran writing that story. And the Irish Daily Star has Budget 22, 12-page pull-out the sun with a similar a 12-page or more pullout. The best summary I've got sent to me late last night from our good friend John Lowe, uh, moneydoctors.ie website. They, they have pretty much uh, across-the-board analysis of the budget. We've also got a tax expert from Deloitte coming on with us shortly on the opinion line to look at the tax implications and we'll be joined later this morning by Minister for Public Expenditure Michael McGrath to go through it in detail and maybe take some of your questions which we invite you to send in at WhatsApp voicemail 083 396 96 96 that's 083 396 96 96 or you can email them to us at opinion at 96fm.ie just going through the highlights at a glance as it were we kind of know what they are now 4.7 billion is what they spent there are some changes in tax credits and tax bans I'll go through them with our expert from Deloitte in a wee while standard rate band increased by 50 what does that actually mean in your pocket social welfare payments up by a fiver a week that includes the state pension pension and the fuel allowance which kicked out immediately Christmas bonus back to 100% being paid in December the pup stays with us until February but will be phased out 
the EWSS, which is the other wage support scheme, staying until the end of April but being phased out. More for disability services, 100 million more. The back to school, back to school clothing and footwear allowance up a tenner. The carers allowance, big changes in the carers allowance. More people will become eligible for the carers allowance in 2022. And people can also earn and still qualify for the allowance. Uh, that uh, particular allow- uh, earning capacity is up. Up a bit. A minimum wage increase to 10.50 per hour. Uh, free GP care now for children under eight, sixes and sevens brought in. Also a change in domiciliary care allowance payment for people affected by that. A lot to do with the climate, of course. Carbon tax up by 750. Effectively, your petrol and diesel went up at midnight. Uh, there will be other increases down the road. Cigarettes up 50 cents a pack, but they left the pint alone. They're going to spend, they say, $4 billion on housing. You can break all that down into $200 million for homeless services on top of building. €100 million euro recovery package for tourism. Basic income for artists and the arts. And then you go down into the nitty-gritty. Uh, you could describe it, I guess, as one for everybody in the audience. This is what John Lowe says. One for everybody in the audience. Everybody got a bite of the apple, but it was a very, very small bite. 1850-715-996. You can go through all of the various summaries. You can listen to all of the various experts, and we'll have plenty of questions and plenty of analysis and our own observations as a team uh, throughout the morning. And if you have yours, I'd like to hear them at 083 396 96 96 and a lot more besides uh, with regard to uh, just more not just budget 22 between now and midday but in the wake of the budget announcement last evening as the figures were settling in and as we were reading through them and trying to digest what it might be worth trying to digest what we might get or what our loved ones might get or what might be available to us or not, as the case may be, I had an opportunity to chat with Taoiseach Michal Martin. Taoiseach, thank you for joining us on the Opinion Line to discuss Budget 22. We'll go into the, the detail a bit more later, maybe, with Minister McGrath, but overall, on balance as Taoiseach, do you think that there's a good balance here, given that the economy is recovering at a faster rate than you thought it would? Yes, I, I think it is. And I think that is the context. Um, we've come through a terrible pandemic or we're coming through it. Uh, and there has been a significant rebound in the economy. I mean, between this year, 2021, and next year, 400,000 more jobs will have been restored and created, which is quite an extraordinary figure. So the challenge then is to, to make this budget fair, to try and highlight areas we want to improve, such as childcare, education, housing, um, health, um, and, and, and protect and look after young people and children in particular. And I think the budget does that, uh, as well as keeping that uh, continuing focus on jobs. You mentioned jobs and business in particular. While the extension of the pandemic supports is welcome into the new year, hospitality and the arts and tourism, they're saying, look, the start of the year is a very quiet, fallow period anyway. Uh, is, is, is government prepared to, to hold on a bit longer before, before all these dry up just to let us get back on our feet? 
Yeah, I think the EWIS scheme will, will, will go right through to, to April. Now, there will be adjustments along the way, but I think that's a significant um, period um, uh, in terms of continuation of, of, of the job subsidy program that we started during COVID, which will help in particular the hospitality sector, uh, the arts and entertainment sector. In, in essence, the tourism, those sectors you just talked about who were perhaps still very vulnerable because of the the after effects, if you like, of the pandemic, the continuing impact of the pandemic on those sectors because people are still not travelling. There's still, you know, people are quite correctly kind of careful in terms of their their, their social distancing and and, and all of that. And uh, so all of that will impact on those sectors. So essentially, the the jobs wage subsidy schemes will keep going uh, for the first couple of months of of next year. In addition, there will be uh, rates um, waiver for the last quarter of this year, uh, specifically around the hospitality, arts and entertainment sector as well, which I think gives them uh, further relief um, in respect of, 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 of costs that they might otherwise um, encounter. So I think that that is uh, a further help to them. And, and of course, the 9%, the 9% VAT keeps going until the lower rate that we bought in last year will keep going until August of 2022, which is a further help to the hospitality. Actually, on, on that one, uh, straight away, the Vintners Federation were out saying, why end it then? Let it go for the whole year because 2022 is going to be tough all the way through. Well, I think 2022 will, will, will witness significant recovery in the sector. Already, domestically, there has been significant bounce back in the domestic hospitality sector. I do acknowledge that the absence of travel and tourism for most of 2021 has had an impact on you know, visitor numbers and tourism, but the, the domestic market has, has rebounded very significantly, um, and lots of jobs have come back. I mean, if you think of it, PJ, about over 400,000 people were on the pandemic unemployment payment uh, a short few months ago in, in February. Mm. Uh, that's down to below 100,000 now. Uh, so people are going back to work because of additional demand and mm. But the VAT rate is helping the sector and they want to keep it. It is. And we look, we, we keep these under review, but I think 2022, August 22 is very reasonable and fair because other challenges will come. Like housing will continue to be the number one challenge facing mm. the government. And we have huge resources allocated to get housing built and we still want to keep the focus on housing, yeah. on health um, and education. Do you think you've done enough in, in housing for 2022? We oh, we have. I mean, the issue will be delivery. I mean, four billion of a capital budget will be allocated to housing, um, and I think we we reckon twenty six thousand social houses, over four thousand affordable. Um, so we're hoping that thirty one thousand households will have their housing needs met in different ways. Um, we're looking at about about nine and a half thousand would be social direct bills. There's additional funding for HAP as well to get people uh, access to, to 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 rental market. Are the workers there to build all those houses? There are no workers to build that, and already this year, the, again, the recovery in the construction industry is a bit better than we might have expected, um, because, as you know, we shut down for the first few months of the year because of the, the lockdown, uh, but it is coming back, so that means for 2022, we think we could have a significant activity in the house building sector, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, with, with the Land Development Agency up and running now and having the legislation passed, 
they'll be in, 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 in the sector as well. Uh, and we want to get the cost rental houses uh, delivered next year, hopefully about 1,000 uh, cost rental, which will be about 25%, if not more, below the market rents. Uh, and then affordable purchase homes as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Cork is strong in that because the Cork Corporation uh, have been faster off to mark than other local authorities in respect of the cost rental and in respect, and in respect of, of, of affordable housing. Taoiseach, I'd hate to be back in my 20s trying to get myself settled in, in an economy such as we have mm-hmm. now. Do you think there's enough in there for young adults who are trying to settle themselves, get themselves their first home, maybe get married, start a family. Is there enough in there for for young people to feel secure going into 2022? I think it's be- it's better because of the budget. I mean, the the allocation to housing, particularly affordable housing, the continuation announced in today's budget of the help to buy scheme will help first time buyers again, um, in, in in terms of, of being able to afford to buy a house. And then you add the additional measures that we brought in during the year in 2021 will help um, young people who want to buy a house in in 2022. The tax changes will help. I think those, the the widening of the bans in particular, and 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 the the credits, the changes there will help the 25 to 35 year age group those in their own you know people could be earning 40 40 plus um, over 35,000 as with all tax changes it's the higher earners who seem to benefit well, there's people over 35,000, and also those under 35 will benefit. Mm. Those over 35 will benefit more. We have a progressive tax system. Those who earn the highest pay the highest tax in Ireland, and that's the way it is. Uh, but I think it's that mid-income group, that that uh, uh, that younger mid-20s group um, onwards, who will benefit from that tax change. And I was surprised to see the opposition go against that tax change because mm. I think it will benefit younger uh, people earning uh, over 35,000. Uh, Unfortunately, among my listeners, there wouldn't seem to be too many of them. Well, there will be, uh, there will be quite, there'll be quite a number. I mean, uh, but also those under 35,000 will benefit um, from the tax changes as well. Uh, I put it this way, if those tax changes weren't brought in, a lot of people would be paying additional taxes because it would essentially mean that one wasn't indexing the tax uh, situation. So and, and therefore you'd have been ended up paying more tax. You know, so I think it's look. I think if you put it all together, if you put the housing measures, the taxation measures, uh, some transport measures, although that's for a younger age group, um, the, the benefits there. I think there's a, a lot of support that, uh, in the budget for young people generally. Notable changes in terms of of childcare. Uh, one of the headline issues out of this. But would state provision of childcare, as Sinn Fein talk about, for example, not be a better option? Well, we do have significant state involvement now in childcare. I mean, the the ECHI scheme is is a significant state subsidy of childcare. Childcare has evolved in the country through community playgroups, private uh, providers who get substantial support from the state uh, and some state providers directly. Um, so, uh, you know, rather than reconfiguring the whole thing again, I think it's important that we gradually uh, in, and incrementally increase the state provision. Now, I think the measures in this budget are significant because they, they're going to the workers in childcare. And it's about giving a proper career pathway for people working in childcare, which I think will consolidate the sector, enable them to retain workers and recruit uh, uh, staff into the, the, the early childhood uh, area. And I think that's very, very important because ultimately we have to get uh, into a far better position in terms of, of pay for those who work in our early education sector. And that's what th- this budget significantly does. There's ongoing talks. There will be an employment regulation order 
anticipated will be brought in in, in in September. So the measures that Michael McGrath announced today in relation to childcare will follow through into 2023 as well in terms of much larger full-year costings. Uh, and I think that is a significant move. We have to do more. I acknowledge your point in terms of we, we, we want that to tie into a freeze on any um, on, on the, the charges and, 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 and the cost of childcare. But I think we have to do more in subsequent years then to make it more affordable for parents. Your fellow Corkman, Sean Healy of Social Justice Ireland, Taoiseach, was previewing the budget with us on the opinion line yesterday. And his analysis was that this budget won't actually narrow the gap between rich and poor. In fact, it'll widen it. There was no uh, increase in the last two years uh, in the core welfare rates uh, and nor in the pension. The value of the what people had three years ago is not being maintained even after this budget has been put in place. So uh, it would have required 10 euro a week just to maintain the status quo uh, and hold, hold people where they were. So what I see in fact happening is a betrayal of Ireland's poorest and most vulnerable people. Your response, Taoiseach? I don't think it clearly was an initial analysis. I look forward to meeting with Sean, as I do regularly. But, for example, if you take education, I mean, this is the first major investment in debt schools in over 10 years in terms of the scale of the allocation of resources to the most disadvantaged schools in the country. Over 1,165 more special needs assistance schools, bringing the total of special needs assistance now to 19,000, and there'll be 980 additional uh, teaching posts, uh, sorry, special education teacher posts provided next year and 350 extra mainstream teachers. Uh, so there's a good investment in education targeted at those on low incomes. Uh, the housing is all about um, enabling people who can't, first of all, in social housing to get access to social houses, as well as those then who want to buy homes to be able to buy it at an affordable rate. So there are probably measures that I don't think Sean is factoring in to his overall assessment um, of the budget. And the welfare package uh, is uh, a very substantial one, worth over 600 million, uh, covering the broad range of people on um, social welfare, particularly on those in carers alone. So I think there's significant changes in the income disregard thresholds. Um, and I think the fuel allowance piece of it added to the increase in the pension, living alone allowance, um, all combined, I think, will weather the, the, the increases that are coming because of the global situation around energy. And, and, and that hopefully will abate during the middle of next year. The price of energy is the real problem going into winter. It's frightening people. The cost of petrol, the cost of diesel going up, the cost of home heating oil, the cost of heating their homes is going up for people. Any reassurance for them before we finish, Taoiseach? That's why we brought. We decided to make the fuel allowance, for example, widening the, the eligibility, but also bringing in the increases from midnight tonight. So the original, you know, annually it would come in around January, but that's too late. So yeah. we're bringing that in immediately, um, and I think that you know those measures will meet the, the increases that, that that are coming in respect of the fuel. Um, and, and diesel, but also towards later the, the increases in home heating, which won't come in immediately, the increases, uh, but they will come in later in the year. Taoiseach, thanks for being with us on the Opinion Line. Thank you very much indeed, PJ. I was speaking to Michal Martin last evening before we had a chance to properly digest, as they say, the devil that exists in the detail. As regards our taxes, we'll look at that next with Caroline O'Driscoll at Deloitte. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Focus what you mean, got my eyes on a prize, that's me. Manchester City are the champions. Number one, that's top of the league. The best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick, Salah! Fernandez, he's going to go for goal, oh, what a goal. The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. The Premier League Live with Now. Join in the experience with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Cork's 96fm app. Later on this morning, I'll be joined uh, live by Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath. We can go through some of the detail of the budget with him. If you have any particular observations or comments or thoughts or questions that you want me to put to the Minister, you can send them in by opinion at 96fm.ie or text them to us at 08 or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96 or if you'd like the Minister to hear your voice uh, you can send a voice message to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96 that's coming up after 11 for now though let's look at tax and social welfare. I'm joined by Caroline O'Driscoll, who is a tax partner at Deloitte uh, here in Cork. Caroline, good morning. Let's look first at tax. Some changes in there. How will they affect the ordinary workers' take-home pay? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, I, I was listening to you earlier. Uh, certainly, I think everyone got a bite of the apple. I think the challenge is it was a very small apple. Um, and the tax measures in total were about half a billion. That's in the context of a 4.7 billion budget. So it is it is quite narrow. Um, in terms of income tax, which was actually the biggest measure um, announced yesterday in that context, the standard rate band was increased by €1,500 and the personal tax credit and employee tax credit by 50 euro each. And what all of that means is, depending on your wages, it is somewhere between two euro and eight euro a week in your pocket. Um, the, this, the, the, the bans in Ireland are, you enter into the top rate of tax, which is 40% at, at around 35,000, so, um, which is, is quite low actually. So mm. for that standard rate ban to increase, you know, if you're falling into that 36, 37, 38,000 bracket, um, you will be you will be up at that eight euro level. Put it that way. Um, but if your your wages are lower, it's around two or three euro a week. Okay, and everybody will get that. Someone on multiples of that wage will get that increase. That, that's right. And I, I know we talk a lot about, you know, this kind of idea, it's a progressive tax system. And what does that really mean? It, it does mean, PJ, that those that earn the highest pay the highest portion of tax. Um, and that's the way the tax rules work. Um, so, and that's why somebody on, on hire will get, will get that eight euro mm. um, because they're, they're paying the most. Um, but I think, look, it, it's a very small measure in, in an individual basis. But I suppose the, the challenge with income tax measures is they cost an they awful cost lot. They cost a lot of money. Yeah. There's a tweak in the universal social charge. Again, can you translate it for us? 
Yeah, so, so that that is really saying um, what what the minister did yesterday is the national minimum wage is to increase by 30 cents, so it's going to go uh, to 10.50, and they made just a change there to make sure that if you are earning the minimum wage, you won't be caught um, for USC, so that they're just adjusting it so that if you're on the minimum wage, you won't be paying the USC. But again, those on multiples will also benefit. It's a small change, but they will benefit. Yeah, that, that's right. Because again, of that progressive system, um, you uh, the, the bans apply to, to everybody. Yeah, mm. that's right. How about tax for businesses? We've had all this palaver recently about moving to 15% for the really big companies and the effective rate of 15%. That was kind of nailed down in the budget yesterday. Will will that mean anything in terms of corporation tax income in real terms? Yeah, it's a a really interesting one. So what the Minister confirmed yesterday is that the corporation tax rate for very big companies, and what I mean by that is companies that have turnover globally of more than 750 million, will now move from 12.5% to 15%. We're talking the Apples, the Facebooks, the Googles of this world. That's that's, that's right. Um, And actually, they ran the numbers on this um, and maybe to give some assurances to to smaller companies that they will stay on the 12.5% rate. There's about 161,000 companies in the country. This will apply to about 1,500 of them. So the lion's share of companies in Ireland will still be paying tax at 12.5%. The Minister has said on a number of occasions that... um, you know, because of what's happening internationally and all of these OECD rules and all that's going on, um, that the exchequer could lose up to two billion um, of corporation tax receipts when all of those changes come to pass. Um, And that's because we actually get an awful lot of corporation tax receipts from from multinationals. Um, I think the numbers uh, are 82% of our corporation tax receipts come from foreign-owned companies. Um, So that's that's what's a little bit at risk. Um, But then I suppose, PJ, I look at the Cork region, I look at the multinationals here, and they're very sticky. They've been here a very long time. Um, you know, I, I don't see a radical change in that. Mm. I, I think Ireland is still competitive. I think that's good for us here in Ireland. Um, and I think things like the introduction of that digital gaming tax credit yesterday um, is a really interesting yeah, one. Explain that really, one again. Again, yeah. put that in simple terms for John Mary Soap. Yeah. So I suppose the, the idea is, so digital gaming actually is worth, so, you know, your computer games and, and the likes are, are worth 100 billion industry globally. And I only found out in the last week, if you look at the TV, film and music sector, the gaming sector is actually double that combined. So it's absolutely massive globally. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ireland only has about a 1% share of it. So I suppose the idea here is that if you look at... Um, where digital gaming is going, where the growth is. Ireland has some fantastic tech businesses here. Why shouldn't we get a part of that? And this will offer tax credits to incentivise those businesses to set up in Ireland. And, and the hope is to lead to high in, innovative growth. So it's, it's a tax credit for that industry. Lots of countries have that, this like France and the UK. And um, so I think it's smart. I think it's clever. It should mean more jobs in digital and creative arts, uh, which I think Ireland is actually very good at because we have a very strong film and animation sector. So yeah. I think that was good news actually for, for investment. We did feature that actually uh, last year uh, on the programme. I remember earlier this year, the, the huge size of the industry. And like you said, it is colossal. I think it's beyond any, any of our imagination how big it is and just how many jobs are, are potentially out there for this country. 
Yeah, that's right. And as I said, we only had, and the minister acknowledged this yesterday um, in, in that the, the growth rate in Ireland for these types of jobs hasn't matched the global growth. Um, so this is kind of putting some, some structure around it. And I hope that's good for Cork because, yeah. you know, the tech industry here is, is the biggest industry we have now. Yeah. Um, so I see a lot of synergies. So hopefully that'll be good for the region. All right. Let me move on, Caroline, briefly to social welfare. Everybody, every payment increased by a fiver. Now that'll probably get soaked up in the increased cost of fuel because not everybody is eligible for the fuel allowance. Uh, Living alone allowance has increased slightly. Child supplement to certain social welfare benefits. Again, it's it's a big spending area. To give to one, you've got to spend an awful lot of money giving to all. Do you think it's the best the minister could have done? I, I think, you know, it's a great question, PJ, and it's the cost of this and the envelope that they had was was really, really small. Um, like the, the challenge here is the cost of living has actually, inflation is running quite high. It's about three, three, four percent um, and predicted to continue for a bit. And I think we've all seen that fuel prices, costs generally are going up. And um, so so these these increases he framed it actually in that way that this is to deal in part with the cost of living um, increases. I, I think the window they had, to be fair to them, was narrow. I mean, he did. He also said yesterday that for 2021 and 2022, the deficit is running at 21 and a half billion. Um, and that means really we are spending more money than we have. And you don't need to be an accountant to figure out that that, that can't continue. It's not sustainable. We're borrowing to keep the lights on, really. We are. We're just borrowing more. We're adding it to the national debt. Um, and it, it's not really then for you and I, PJ. It's our children. It's our grandchildren. We'll be left dealing with this. So there was a very narrow window. I think the fiscal advisory board, uh, council had come out and said, look, this is really the limit of what you can do prudently. I think what they tried to do is a little bit for everyone. Um, so I suppose better than nothing. But it, it was a difficult challenge that they faced. Now, generally speaking, it's after a budget in the days and weeks that the little traps and the little holes begin to expose themselves because you know it's presented in in a fanfare on the day and then we drill down there's a finance bill there's a social welfare bill and then people start calling us in November December January saying hang on this happened in the budget and I never saw it is there any trap there that you can see I think the devil is always in the detail, PJ. I mean, from a tax perspective, it's it's really un- not until the finance bill will issue within the next couple of weeks that we as kind of the profession will start to see those little um, uh, wrinkles uh, come out. So very hard to say that until we actually see um, the kind of detail. You know, one of the things I'll be looking out for actually um, because uh, is the working from home support. So those listeners that might be working from home, they have increased the income tax deduction there. Um, to 30% of heat, electricity and broadband. But I'd like to see, will there be an improvement as to how does one claim it yes. make it a little bit easier um, for people to do that because it's quite a burden. Um, I, know I believe it is very cumbersome. I've never tried, but I believe it is very cumbersome. It is because you've got to you know, file tax returns. Not everybody needs to file a tax return. Um, so uh, it, it's just a lot of an administrative burden for very little benefit, actually, when you when you work through the maths. Um, I know the hospitality sector were disappointed last night with the, the 9% VAT until August 2022. Whether or not that will change would be an interesting one to watch out for as well, I think. All right, Caroline, thank you for being with us on The Opinion. And Caroline O'Driscoll, tax partner at Deloitte in Cork, 1850-715-996. I said to you, we'd give you our observations and indeed um, 
take yours uh, during the morning. We'll be coming back to the budget later. We'll be speaking to Minister Michael McGrath. We'll be asking him about how the budget has addressed, you know, your life. So if you have something going on in your life that you were hoping would be addressed in the budget, send us a message, opinion at 96fm.ie or send us a WhatsApp at text or voicemail to 083 396 Just one thing that I spotted myself and then I looked at it myself and I thought, that's not very very impressive. And then a man called DJ Walsh on Twitter, who's got a medical scientific background, uh, drew attention to it this morning. We present there, we had going into the pandemic, about 237 to 255 ICU beds in the country. So we'll say 250 ICU beds in the country as we went into the pandemic. And we know how overwhelmed they became. Uh, during the pandemic. That is less than half of the European average of 575. For our head of population, European average says we should have 575 ICU beds. They have gone up now over a small bit over the last few months. And in the budget yesterday, there's 19 new ICU beds. 19. That'll bring us up to 340. Just 340. Which is 59%, just over half of the European average. So, at two years into a pandemic, where our ICUs and critical care became overwhelmed and forced us into multiple lockdowns and heavy-duty restrictions to protect the ICUs, we still only have 59% of the European average. That's not great. Not great at all. 1857 the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie We all love Irish music and the artists that make it. The last 18 months have been devastating for this industry and we want to play our part to help. Cork's 96FM is proud to support Irish Music Month by promoting the amazing work of Irish artists. Across the country, independent radio with Hot Press is spotlighting Irish music and paying Irish artists over €95,000 to play and perform for us. We're committed to promoting Irish music. Are you? Irish Music Month on Cork. Cork's 96FM is supported by the BAI Sound and Vision Fund and XL Retail, offering a great deal more at your local store. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. We will return to budget matters uh, throughout the morning. Your opportunity to put a question or indeed to put a comment to Minister Michael McGrath after 11 o'clock. Uh, among the messages that I'll be putting to him is this observation from Orla. Why are job seekers getting an increase as along with carers? Carers work 24-7. Job seekers, while they may be looking for a job, there are long-term unemployed people that do not deserve this increase. That and other comments for Michael McGrath. After 11, you can get your voice heard. 0833 96 96 96. The Dog Action Welfare Group had quite an upsetting message on their Facebook page in the last few days. They say, like every rescue up and down the country, we are really struggling 
with surrenders. Our shelter is full and we do not have enough foster homes. Most of the dogs we're being asked to take have issues we're not qualified to deal with. We're currently closed for intake except for emergency cases. During the lockdown, a lot of people got a new doggy in the house because, you know, the company of a dog, unless you have it in your life, you don't fully appreciate what it's like. But now, with lockdown over and people going back to work, a lot of pups are being surrendered back to shelters like the DAWG and it's causing all sorts of problems. Moira O'Sullivan, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Very well, thank you. And rather angry to read this. <laughs> I have to say, Moira, in my view, it is probably the cruelest thing you can do to one of our four-legged friends is to use them for the solace and pleasure they give you during lockdown and then offload them on the nearest available shelter as soon as you no longer need them. That's my feeling. Is it, it yours? It's pretty upsetting. I mean, they're, they give you unconditional love. They will forgive you any transgression, but this, you know, to treat them like that is, is pretty bad, yes. <laughs> so what is the story with you at the moment? You guys are overrun with surrenders. Yeah, so we've, I mean, we and every other rescue in the country has been warning since last year that this was coming, I suppose, that, you know, people were, were purchasing dogs with no plan for how to deal with going back to work, which was an inevitability. Um, unfortunately, with because our fundraising was obviously completely curtailed as well, um, we didn't have any way of um, preparing or, or putting money aside for this inevitability um, because we were, you know, by the skin of our teeth, of course, as, as always. Mm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we're, we're seeing a huge amount of surrenders. And I suppose the, the biggest issue is not even so much the number of dogs, but the fact that the dogs that we're getting in have very complex issues, things like separation anxiety, um, you know, um, not socialized with other dogs, not socialized with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they need quite a lot of an investment of time, um, usually from a qualified animal trainer or behaviorist. Is um, it that maybe more people got a, an eight or nine year old, week old, rather cute puppy during lockdown? And now that they are gone back to work, the eight or nine week old cute puppy that's now eight or nine months old cute puppy is has no idea how to be on its own, has no idea what it's like to not have somebody around for a few hours at a time and gets very distressed. Absolutely. Um, I think that's a huge issue. Um, the fact that, yeah, if, you, if the dog has never been alone or never been taught to sort of self-soothe or entertain themselves, um, they, they get very stressed and upset. Um, there's there's also the issue that I suppose some of these dogs are sort of a year to 18 months old, and that is essentially a teenage dog. <laughs> and as we know, teenagers can be challenging in, in the best of times. Um, so they, they're they kind of testing their boundaries, seeing what they can get away with. Um, and so that can be quite a stressful time for owners anyway. Um, and then if you're also combining that with a dog that like doesn't know how to be alone, um, you know, doesn't need know how to be around other dogs. Um, so maybe isn't a suitable candidate for something like doggy daycare or something like that. Mm. Um, yeah, we're getting a lot of surrenders, but we are also just getting. Um, we had a one-year-old Jack Russell um, the other day brought into a vet's, um, asked to be put to sleep because he is quote annoying. I hear. Now the vet refused, thankfully, to do that and had them sign over ownership to us. Um, but like I know Jack Russell puppies were going for five thousand euros last year. So Jack like what Russell. A, a Jack Russell for puppy. five grand. 
for five grand. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Back back when back when I was a kid, they, they were on farms as ratting dogs, and and they had absolutely. litters of five or six, and you just pick up a puppy from the local farmer. Um, absolutely, and I mean, like usually we would be we would be have a lot of Jack Russell pu- accidental Jack Russell puppies coming in, accidental Jack Russell crosses, things like that. Mm. Um, but like last year. People were so desperate for dogs that yeah, five thousand for for a Jack Russell puppy, um, and and now he's annoying. You know? Oh, that's awful! That's awful. Yeah, pretty grim. So, so you, <laughs> as you say, you know, well, you're overrun. You yeah. can only take in emergencies. So, what are the next few months going to look like? What's going to happen to all these dogs that nobody wants? I mean, I suppose we're asking people, you know, please don't dump them because the, the profile of strays that we are seeing is also significantly younger than usual. Um, so there are definitely dogs being dumped. Um, if people do need to rehome, you know, that's, that's a, that may be the best choice for the dog, but you just need to be patient with us. Um, probably plan to keep the dog in your own home while we look for a, a home. Um, and then, you know, engage with us through the process. Um, if you want, if you want to keep your dog, or if you want to rehome your dog, it's important to get them training. Um, there's there's a very interesting study that shows that something like 80% of dogs that ended up in a Canadian pound didn't know a single command. So didn't even know sit or, you know, any, anything like that. So like learning, like like you can't, if you set a dog up for failure, if you're not training them. Sitting, teaching, so, teaching a puppy to sit is, is <laughs> it's, it's more fun than than many other things. It's great fun. Like, why would no one do that? The other my, thing... My own dog thought that Susie meant sit for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing, Marta, that I was only looking at this morning is you are completely jammed at the moment and it's only 73 days to Christmas. I imagine you would be repeating and shouting from the rooftops, please don't give a dog as a Christmas present. Yes. Um, you know, it's... it's. I mean, there's car bumper stickers going around saying it uh, it's the most common you know thing that 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 you hear around christmas time please do not buy a puppy at christmas please do not give a puppy as a gift and yet every year we end up with you know somebody who's given a, a collie puppy to to an elderly couple in their 70s who are like what have you just done to us um every single year um so it's just it. It mean just again. It's but you know the people the people that we're saying this to over and over again. I guess are the people who aren't listening. Correct. Uh, so yeah. um, I'm not sure what else we can do. We're we're really at breaking point right now um, in terms of the the volume of dogs we have and as I said the complex needs that they have. If anybody wants to help or knows how to help, what can they do for you? Um, our website dogactionwelfaregroup.ie you can donate to us through there our biggest cost is always veterinary bills but right now we are having to um, I mean obviously we have trainers who volunteer their time but if they're if they're working for us 40 hours a week we're going to have to give them something okay. um, and um, there you can apply to foster on our website as well um, we will have calendars and Christmas cards shortly available so um, those are a big um, earner for us yeah. if anyone is looking for one they'll be available on our website as well Alright listen good luck with the work uh, I know it's tough at the moment Moira O'Sullivan from Dog Action and Welfare Group The lines are live and we're ready to talk Can we just talk 1850 715 996. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Remember, joining me after 11... Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath, to talk about yesterday's budget and putting some of your comments and observations to the Minister. Voice messages, welcome. If you want to send them in to us, 1850-715-96, the phone number, and of course, text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. Let us look at childcare because it was one of the headlines from the budget yesterday. The National Child Care Scheme has been massively extended to take in children up to the age of 15. That provides state funding for childcare for children up to the age of 15. I'm sure it's more nuanced than that, but that's the basic. It was age three or four, if I remember correctly. And then there's a new stream up to 4,700 early years and childcare providers will benefit from a new funding scheme from September 22. The total package on childcare is around 200 million euro. Minna Murphy owns a preschool. It's Kildinan Preschool. Minna, good morning. You're happy with this, I think. Good morning, PJ, and thanks for having me on. Um, I am happy and I am hopeful because uh, the fact that uh, we were first time announced in the budget as a workforce that 60 9 million will be ring-fenced for the pay and conditions. And that's a huge promise that we have been fighting for too many years. Mm. Also, while I am happy and hopeful, I am also kind of sad and disappointed that still in 2021, such an important sector that is so important for the society that we still need to, as earliest teachers, have to fight for our workforce rights and for the recognition. And it shouldn't be like that. But one, look, um, one of the complaints we, yeah. we have been hearing, Mina, from the sector is that it's so hard to get and keep good staff. In fact, so hard to get and keep any staff. Will this help? Well, I'm hoping so. And um, like what we have been doing here, that we are not fighting just for us at the moment, but we are fighting for the whole sector and also for the future of the sector. Like this budget breakthrough didn't happen just like that. It was given to us. The New Deal for Early Years campaign was successful because of the 6,000 SIP to union members were raising the issues. And the union activists were lobbying the politicians and writing articles and like myself now talking on the radio. It was a collaboration with the union and the non-governmental organizations. And I want to say a big thanks also to all the parents who have been rooting us in, uh, for example, social mm. medias. So it is a collaboration and we have got here, but this is only the first step. Yeah. And uh, for sure, like we have finally been acknowledged, we will never let the government forget us anymore. In, in your and, own individual case, in your own individual business, what do yes. you think this will enable you to do or what do you hope it will enable you to do? I'm hoping finally... Um, be able to pay a better salaries for my staff. They are wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And the big problem here is that I will get a certain amount of cake, which I need to then divide with my staff um, for the running costs, for for insurance and whole lot. And all after that, I will see what kind of piece is left for me to pay as a manager, for example. So that cake has never been big enough 
And mm. I'm hoping that with this uh, budget and future budget, I will be also be able to offer a pay rise for my staff. That hasn't happened because the cake is always the same size. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so it's it's, so, a, it's a positive day in in your in your view. It is positive day, and it is shining light for the future and the workforce, um, um, like for the sector. That there might be people thinking that this might be my career because they love to teach the young children. But unfortunately, so many, like for example, now the government has announced thousand SNA positions, and I am absolutely sure that many of our wonderful earliest teachers will be going for those positions because of the better pay and better working conditions. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's a constant battle to keep the staff here. And although money isn't always the most motivating thing, but we also need to be able to pay our bills. We also need to yeah. be able to get the mortgages. Mm. And now well, money, the, money, the, money might be the greatest motivator for really good people, Mina, but you still need to be able to pay them a, a decent absolutely. a decent wage. Let's bring in Eva Mitchell uh, from the SIP2 Childcare Early Years section. Eva, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Thanks, Mina, for having me this morning. Listening to, to Mina there, as a provider, she's happy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I suppose, um, you know, this is a very unfamiliar position um, for us as well um, in terms of of today or of yesterday's announcement. We're not so used to, to hearing, I suppose, good news um, in, in relation to pain conditions. And I suppose, you know, just hearing so many politicians um, talking about how, um, you know, addressing the, the, the issue of poverty pay in the sector was really a primary issue um, in, in, in the earlier sector. Um, you know, it was it was a real turning point for, 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 for so many people work, for the thousands of women working in the sector. Um, so, yeah, we are, I suppose, somewhat um, happy with, with the announcements yesterday. Yeah, mm. for sure. The, the extension of the scheme up to, for children up to the age of 15... That's that's obviously to be welcomed. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I'm not here either to defend. Um, you know, I, I I do think a lot more needs to be done in terms of affordability for families. You know, um, the, the high cost of childcare is just a barrier for so many families in terms of accessing yeah. education, um, and and employment. So I'm not here to defend. Um, you know, the, the government's decision in that regard. But um, in terms of the funding that they have implemented, um, you know, to improve the quality and the provision of high quality um, care and education and, um, you know, addressing um, pay in that regard, um, you know, we really do welcome that. And we do think that obviously more needs to be done um, in terms of the affordability for, for families. Um, and you know, I, again, I, I just I'm not here to defend that aspect no, of it, no, but no. just 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 to acknowledge, um, you know, the the the, the I suppose. Well, but uh, we know when something is positive, it's 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 right to acknowledge it. Absolutely. Just just on that minute, from what's in front of us in terms of figures and the the, the amount of money that you have to charge the parents that send their children to your service, anything in that for those people. Um, well, I'm offering the ECCE, so that's free for the parents. But I think the main issue here is that um, kind of like until the government acknowledges that the earliest learning and care is not necessary for the parents only, but a necessary foundation for the children and for their future academic achievement and the life choices they make, 
then perhaps the real change in the Irish early year sector will finally happen. So as long as they only think about the money without thinking that what kind of greater benefits the society will have mm-hmm. by having the children in the earlier sector and having such a subsidies for the parents yeah. that they can send their children for the early years learning and It care. is time, I think, to start treating it. And this, this to you both, you take it first. I mean, it, it is time to start treating this particular sector as part of the education system and, and funded appropriately. Absolutely. This is a foundation level of learning. And that's why I'm, I'm constantly saying that we are earliest teachers. We are teaching. See, learning is not just understanding your ABCs and your numbers. Learning is way wider sector of things that actually happen in the early years. And that's what we are building here with the children and with the families. Mm-hmm. And until the government acknowledges that, um, I don't think that the real change can happen. Hopefully. <laughs> Mina, thank you for being with us and uh, delighted that you're happy today. Uh, yeah. It's good, it's good to hear a, a, a happy, happy people. And Eva, uh, in your own capacity as part of SIP2, you, you too are happy with the package. But I think that question, that the, the, the way to really revolutionise childcare is to start treating it as education. Absolutely. And I think that that was actually acknowledged in the teacher speech yesterday in relation to, to the earlier sector. Um, you know, it, it does need to be recognized as, as, as the first, as the foundation of the education system. You know, we've known since the 1920s that the first five years of a child's life are the most formative and therefore the most important. And we need to, you know, really improve investment in that area. So I think that the government has really stood up and listened, um, to the thousands of educators who've really hard lobbied, um, this government over the last couple of months. And it has to be said here in Cork with Michael McGrath, um, you know, and all of the other politicians Mm -hmm. in the area, there there has been a stellar campaign run by um, our Big Start activists. um, And so I just wanted to say, you know, thank you to everybody who has, um, you know, sent postcards to to, um, the politicians um, and this is their win. Okay. One group of, of very happy people at uh, the childcare sector by the sounds of things this morning. Eva Mitchell from SIP2 and Minna Murphy who runs Kildinan Preschool. Uh, thank you both. Just on the budget generally, just 30 cent on the minimum wage, says Morris. All this government is doing is creating more division. Mick Barry, uh, Deputy Mick Barry, says additional funding for HAP. new HAP arrangements in 2022 more money says he for private landlords which could go into building public housing Jerry says they'll take the five euro on the pension and any increases in benefits back through the differential rents in June cost of petrol is a joke also the cost of electricity you don't know what people are going through when Pascal Dunahoo was delivering the budget says Liz lots of people were on their phones in the Dáil Disgraceful. I, for one, lost with this budget. I'm a carer. I got no five euros increase. Also, we don't get fuel allowance. I drive an 07 car and I smoke. Now petrol and cigs have gone up. This budget didn't benefit everyone. Says that comment. The childcare sector, at least though, would appear to be happy based on this. Although, although the cost of it for parents probably won't be affected by this package. As Minna was saying, she's part of the ECI scheme, so that is free for the parents. And that, I think, has been increased up to the age of 15. I spoke on Monday to Sinn Féin TD Donegal about what they do with regard to childcare, if it was left to them. Donegal, when you hear the sector 
quite pleased with yesterday's budget. Um, it's an endorsement of where the government is going, isn't it? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, look, I mean, I suppose we, when I talked to you on Monday, I talked about doing two things. And the government has done one of those things, and it is an important thing. And it's something that I would have worked with. I would have worked with even I would have worked with Mena. It's something I've been raising for years now. So, like, I mean, I'm glad that on that particular issue that the government has listened, albeit that there has to be negotiations. But what we would have proposed would have dealt with that. Um, and there obviously there would have been a cost to this but I think it is important that parents get some relief here because like I mean I've heard people talk about oh we'll come back to that next year we'll come back to deal with costs next year but for the people who are dealing with childcare at the minute like you know that Mm. could be you know 10 grand in the difference that they spend this year it actually could be like and mm-hmm. I, I think maybe mm-hmm. people oh, sorry, very people, expensive you're talking to Fiona here about the cost of childcare for her two for her two children and anybody else I know it's it's like another mortgage in, in, in some it houses is, like, it, how would it, you have proposed to bring that down though yeah, well, look, I mean, what we were proposing uh, was an additional 86 million. And that would have, we would have taken on the wage bill. We would have taken on the wage bill. And I think that actually the way the government has gone about this, even though um, there is some positive moves in, in terms of dealing with the, the, the issues facing the sector, we would have taken on the wage bill. You've nationalised it, in other words. Well, not necessarily the providers and the actual businesses or the, the providers themselves, but the wage bill, a bit like how our education system works, that the Department of Education pays for the teachers. Similarly, we would have paid for the childcare workers. And in doing so, and in dealing with some of the other overheads, your electricity and things like that, your utilities and different costs like that, we would have been able to bring down a cost by a third uh, this year and as further third next year, um, mm. that would have been hundreds of euros. Of Where would the eighty-six million that. come from? Because we're we're borrowing to keep the lights on. Well, look, I mean, we wouldn't be borrowing to fund current spending. I mean, we've been very clear about that. Borrowing is for capital spending. Borrowing is for to build and to mm. buy. So, where would the eighty-six uh, million come from? Well, like, I mean, we've outlined in our alternative budget, and it's very detailed, how we would ensure that all uh, all of our spending commitments are adhered to, and some of those involve taxation measures. Yeah, but I don't we have that in front Monday. of me. Tell me what you would have done yeah, to get yeah, the 86. Yeah, no, but, like, I mean, we've talked already, I suppose, on Monday about the uh, solidarity tax, uh, 3% on income above 140000 uh, and specifically... On the portion of that income above that, that raises about 408 million. There are really generous tax subsidies for the kind of gold-plated pensions that very high earners receive. And we would reduce the subsidies on that because they're all of us are subsidising those pensions. And that costs about $387 million a year. That would be um, that would make a significant difference. There's a tax break for those who are on incomes between uh, $750,000 and a million. Um, the uh, special assignee relief program again that costs about 42 million it allows millionaires to avoid spending tens of thousands of euro on taxation so like i mean these are the kind of things that i suppose like i mean well it's not technical on one level what it actually means is there are there are tax breaks there for higher earners and mm. indeed we see the bank levying being ended for two of the banks uh that i think have uh you know the, the I'm sure I would suggest, that Donica, that all these things are very easy until you actually have to sit and try and do it. If you were in government tomorrow, it might prove more difficult to actually do. 
Listen, PJ, we're not a bit under any illusion that being in government will be challenging, uh, but we're well up for that. We want the opportunity to do that. We believe, look, I mean, I think this budget yesterday represented a government that was tired, that was that had run out of ideas, had no imagination mm. for how to tackle And yet here we the have the childcare issues. sector very happy. Look, I mean, as I say, there are tens of thousands of parents out there who have no relief, no relief mm. at all, even though they're spending eight or nine hundred euro. And like, I mean, look, I'm not yeah, sure. And, and, and that is an awful thing. And I'm, I'm hoping some of them yeah, will contact me. Sure any of this would be happening except for the campaigning that they have been doing. Indeed, I have been true, true, on the true. picket lines with them for four, five or six yeah. years. And right. look, I'm glad that that pressure has told and it has told in a few other areas as well. Yeah. And there are issues that I have been pushing that I'm glad sure, the government sure, doesn't sure. reach. Sure. And, 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 and good good news that is being welcomed, you know, it, it's it's good to it's good to do that, but a lot of the decisions, let's face it, Donoghue, were based on supply constraints, international supply constraints. Like, how would you resolve that? Whatever Sinn Fein can do, it can't bring down the price of gas, it can't bring down the price of timber, it can't bring down the price of oil right now. Well, we wouldn't add we wouldn't add to the price of of gas anyway. That's for sure, and that's very clear. You know, like I mean, the but we the have commitments as a nation. We must for for carbon purposes. Yeah, but there are many other ways of doing that, and there are many other ways of that we would propose doing that. And certainly, you know, we would prefer the carrot rather than the stick, and the incentive rather than the punishment, because there are many, many people out there who don't have the option uh, to reduce their carbon usage if they are living in a rural area, if mm-hmm. they don't have a public transport uh, that they can use, if they have a building that isn't suitable for retrofitting, or if they don't qualify for the grants. So there are many people out there who really this is going to cost them, but there's not very much they can do about it. There's no place at the other end that they can make the savings. So where we are talking about... Like there's also labour costs involved. There's a shortage of labour, huge shortage yeah, of labour. Yeah, sure. So then it's about incentivising. Then it's about incentivising and prioritising. So what... But we, we haven't have got enough doctors. We haven't got enough builders. How do we incentivise that? Well, we'll deal with the building side of things first, because I think that was the area you were, you were first talking about. Like what we were proposing to do is to increase stamp duty on the building of offices and hotels so that it became more attractive for developers to focus instead on housing uh, and to prioritise and to incentivise that the resources of the construction industry would be focused on our greatest need, which is housing, which is apartments and housing. And that's what we would have proposed to do. Now, there are labour shortages. We recognise that. There are things that need to be done in the long term. We've been talking for years about expanding the number and categories of apprenticeships. And I'd be meeting with DTB later in the week to talk about apprenticeships. so that we have more workers coming on stream. But in the immediate, Mm. one of the things that can really make an immediate difference is changing the incentive so that there is more... Yeah, but that's risky. In in, in a global economy that's that's suffering a lack of labour and a lack of supply in a crippled supply chain right now, that's risky, isn't it? I don't see it. Can, I, can you elaborate on that? I'm not sure why that is particularly risky. I think it's it's more about ensuring that the uh, that the resources that exist within the construction industry are focused on the within this state are focused on the important issues that we need to build. Like I mean, we need to build houses. Like there's no question yeah. about that. But we also we need, need to bring in houses. jobs through businesses, and businesses need modern premises. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's no question of that. But like, I mean, I think where is the most urgent need? Uh, it is in housing. And that is where we are focused very 
clearly and I suppose the other thing in terms of housing that didn't happen in this budget and it's really incredible and to be honest I had lots of people saying it to me yesterday and like I mean why don't they have a tax relief for renters the renters are like I mean they're assisting the landlords and look there's lots of good landlords out there and they play an important role uh, but they are getting some assistance here but tenants are not even though they could be paying back breaking rents uh, they, it's impossible to save for a deposit but if we have more housing stock then rent will go down of itself well, yes, I like. I mean, look, I mean, that's what we've been saying for a decade now. To be honest, PJ. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, so, and do we seem yeah. to have more stock coming? Yeah. Well, like, I mean, I don't believe it's four, actually four, going to be four billion. Four billion on housing. Mm. Well, look, I mean, it looks like it's only going to be about in reality, in terms of what's actually affo- affordable, less than about two thousand. Affordable units, even by their own account, it's only about six. Uh, whereas we believed it needed to be about ten. Uh, but really, like I mean, what they're talking about, what's actually truly affordable, is less than two. Uh, a lot of it is going to be at effectively market rates, and if you can't afford market rates, you're not going to be able to get those affordable units. Really, we needed to be talking about twenty thousand social and affordable units rather than the twelve that the government is talking about. That's what all the organisations on the ground are telling us. That's what we're basing our numbers on, mm. uh, the information that we're getting from Simon and all these organisations. That's what we believe we need. But in the meantime, as well as building those, and we've I've identified to you, PJ, how we would reallocate resources to ensure that it's focused on building houses for people to live in. And some of that is about bringing back into use derelict houses. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And we've produced policies on that and derelict buildings, which there's a lot of in the city. But in the meantime, our renters need assistance and they need immediately. And they keep being ignored, yeah. PJ. Well, that is a big hole in this budget. And anybody would acknowledge that, I think, Donica, to be fair, that there's very little in this. Nothing, in fact, for people who are trying to pay a crippling rent and still feed a family and still run a car and still do all those things. Donica Lira, uh, Sinn Féin, uh, front bench spokesman on education and Cork South Central TD. Thank you. Can we just talk?
Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. Yeah, we will come back to the budget. Uh, lots of comments coming in and observations about the budget and what it means for you and your family and your home and your children. And we'll put as many as we can of them to Minister Michael McGrath, who'll join us live after 11 o'clock. But let's look at uh, something else today. This is World Thrombosis Day. What, you may ask, is thrombosis and why does it have its own World Day? Well, what if I were to tell you thrombosis is the underlying cause of three cardiovascular killers. It's a life-threatening but preventable condition. Dr. Maeve Crowley is a consultant haematologist at CUH and joins me. Maeve, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on today. Delighted to do so. It's the numbers are the scary bit. How common thrombosis is and we don't even know what it is. So I think the thing to think about it and and the main aim of World Thrombosis Day is to raise awareness because if it's picked up early, it's much more treatable and there's lots of things we can do to prevent it. But we know that thrombosis is associated with one in four deaths worldwide, which is a huge number of people. Blood clots, as opposed to kind of clots in the heart or the brain strokes and heart attacks, but blood clots in the the lungs and the legs are very common. So we call them pulmonary emboli or deep vein thrombosis. But it's just clots in the veins and clots can occur in any blood vessel in the body. Mm. So when we're thinking about a, a clot in the lung, we're thinking about kind of chest pain, shortness of breath, difficulty doing activities that were normally very easy, like climbing the stairs. And then when we're thinking about clots in the legs, we're thinking about pain or swelling or redness in mm. the leg. Yeah, I, I see one statistic that that is, I thought this was frightening, Maeve. In Europe alone this year, uh, over half a million people will die from blood clots related things related to blood clots, which is more than a combination of AIDS, breast cancer, prostate cancer, and motor vehicle accidents. I know it is terrifying. So even if we look at certain kind of high risk patients, so cancer patients after cancer, clotting is the second most common cause of death in, in this patient group, and it's the leading cause of death of pregnant women. There's lots of things that are associated with a higher risk. So even being admitted to hospital, I think up to 50 to 60% of clots are related to hospital admission. And this risk lasts for up to 90 days. And that's why the HSC have put it in their patient safety plans to try and reduce the risk by modifying the risk factors Mm. and giving some preventative treatment when people are in hospital. So, So how would one know if you had a clot or were developing a clot anywhere in the body? So I think depending on where the clot occurs, that the symptoms will kind of present that way. So clot in the lungs, again, it's chest pain, especially if you're trying to take a deep breath, shortness of breath. Clot in the leg, it's leg pain, leg swelling, redness. And then if it's caught in other places, then you get different symptoms. So I think recently with COVID-19 vaccine, a lot of people were worried about clots in the veins in the brain, cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, which is quite a rare cause of clot. But patients with that kind of clot generally get headaches or problems with their vision. Yeah. So I suppose the, the main thing is if you're worried, 
needs to be checked out and to know who's at high risk is really important so you know when you're appropriately worried. Part part of your regular check with your doctor, I guess. Let me bring in Noreen O'Leary. Noreen, you were actually training for a marathon, so one assumes that you were reasonably fit and healthy when you noticed that something was wrong. Good morning. Morning. How are you? Good. Um, yes, I was as fit as I've ever been, really. Um, I was training. I'm a non-smoker. I was very, you know, good, healthy diet. And I suppose, against what Maeve said there, the only thing I noticed was the more training I was do, doing, the weaker I was getting. Instead of increasing my, my distance and my speed, I was finding it very difficult. Yet I didn't have pain. Mm. I felt my clothes were too tight and I just couldn't seem, I blame my sports bar regularly. I, but yet I never had pain as such, just my breathing. And I was blaming it on, I suppose that I wasn't doing enough exercise or, you know, not strategically planning my exercise. But mm. Eventually you rang so the doctor. It, why, did, why did you do that? I, I, I actually had three nurses with me at the time we were talking. I said, I really find it difficult to breathe today. So I decided to tell the doctor that it was, exercise-induced asthma, and I was quite definite that that was what I had. And he said, look, pop down, and I did. And I suppose it rolled on from there. He said, look, I'd just like to send you in for tests. And within a day or two, I then was diagnosed with the DVT and a PE. Um, difficult to find, I think, in my case, because they were smaller and they were just throwing off little clots. Mm. Um, but I suppose... You know, for somebody so fit, it was, that's what I found the hardest yeah. thing to accept. Yeah, You're on medication yes. now for life, are you? Yeah, I will be a lifetime because I have a specific type of blood problem, which occurs obviously in lots of different people. But, I, you know, yeah. there are no family history. Or it's anything. probably got a big, long name, but yes. sticky blood is what we know it has. Absolutely, yeah, that's the common name for it, which just means your, blood, your body thinks that it is bleeding out of some part of you, so it automatically clots, you know. So, so generally, PJ, the body is generally very clever, and what it wants to do is to keep your blood liquid in your blood vessels, and then if there's any kind of injury or trauma, it needs to clot off that area mm-hmm. so that you don't bleed out. And it's when that balance is lost that we get this thrombosis, as Noreen is so well mm-hmm. describing here. And lots of things throw that balance off, I suppose, Noreen has sticky blood or antiphospholipid syndrome, to give it its long name, which is one of the rarer causes. And, and that's why it's something we can't change. That's why she needs to stay on anticoagulation. Other people have blood clotting issues that we can kind of manage, like associated with pregnancy or hospital admission. And then once that high risk time is over, we can stop anticoagulation. So it's very much a personal approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Noreen, your your health is good again now. You, are you running any more marathons or what? Yeah, um, like I haven't let it interfere with my life at all, really. You know, it, it's not something I just obviously I'm conscious that it's there. You know, I don't do, I suppose, contact sports and things like that. But as regards anything else in my everyday life is perfectly normal. You know, mm. my running is the same. I do lots of different exercises. When you're you on know. thinners, you have to be careful of yourself, don't you? You have to mind yourself a bit. Excuse me? You have when to mind yourself a bit on thinners. A little bit, yeah. Like, But I, I had a baby after um, after I having the blood clot and it was all without problem. Good. So, you know, I just was careful. But, you know, I was 
I didn't, it didn't affect me as such. Sure. Come back to you lastly, Maeve, for anybody listening who might be concerned about themselves or indeed a loved one, what's the first step? Mm-hmm. Call your GP, I guess. I think so. I mean, if you've got significant chest pain that's stopping you doing things, a bit like Noreen was describing that she couldn't do what she was able to do, then probably GP or out of hours, the hospital. Thrombosis Ireland is a wonderful patient advocacy group and they have lots of information available on thrombosis.ie to give you tips about symptoms and signs and what to look out for and who's at risk. And then for some some information afterwards, if you have this clot and you feel you're alone and don't know about it, there's lots of patient information leaflets as well. So it's an amazing resource for people. Great. Okay. And today being World Thrombosis Day, that's why we wanted to to touch base with you both. That's Dr. Maeve Crowley, consultant hematologist at CUH, and Noreen O'Leary, who has had uh, clots, thrombosis herself. Thrombosis.ie is the website for all the information. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Since 2018, Quiet Lights Festival has filled the city's nooks, crannies, chapels and bars, bringing some of the best Irish and international acts. This year's lineup welcomes Lisa O'Neill, the Lost Brothers, and Amika Junior Brother, and more to the stages of many venues across the city. It takes place in November. Access all areas. Full of moral ambiguity and psychological complexity, Duck Duck Goose by Katrina Daly constantly shifts our perspective on ideas of consent, trust, and trial by social media. This challenging new play comes to the Everyman Theatre from the 12th to 14th of October. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, or exhibition coming up, or any live stream events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie Access all areas Your guide to nightlife on the side On Cork's 96FM Forget as part of Irish Music Month this October in association with Hot Press Cork's 96FM launched the Cork Local Hero Talent Search in our bid to uncover new Irish music. Well, we got hundreds of entries of incredibly high quality from all over Cork City and County, which doesn't surprise us because we know just how good the quality of music is out there. Now, this Sunday on Cork's 96FM's Select Irish, we'll reveal the shortlist of five finalists. And they'll then go forward to battle it out for a chance to win an overall €5,000 cash prize, get their single recorded and get guaranteed radio play across 25 stations in Ireland. Join Michael Carr this Sunday from 6 for Select Irish when Michael will reveal the shortlist. Irish Music Month on Cork's 96FM, supported by the BAI Sound and Vision Fund and XL Retail, offering a great deal more at your local store. 1850 Just on the budget, have a think, by the way, about ways you might bring your fuel bills down as fuel gets more expensive. How might you be able to get your fuel bills down, maybe without spending a whole pile of money? This WhatsApp says, I'm an apprentice, I have been for a year. There's a huge delay in people getting called to their next phases. So I've been stuck earning 200 euro a week for 40 hours. I do 
Is that even legal? I do so much labour-intensive work, it's a joke. The reason it's €200 Euro is because of the recommended amount for an apprentice. I've discussed to my employer about a raise. He bluntly said no. Fair enough, we're only starting, so the wages are bad. But the fact the recommended wage isn't going up alongside the cost of just living here isn't, is really annoying. €200 Euro has to pay my car insurance, motor tax, food... And I contribute at home. As a young apprentice, this country is getting painful to live in. You just feel left out. Apprenticeship wages were always fairly dismal. They go up with every year of your apprenticeship. But to be stuck on 200 quid in, in this economy is, is, is... And working 40 hours a week is fairly stark. 1850 So we're coming into winter. Houses are going to get colder, therefore we'll put the heating on earlier, and then you're using more fuel, your bills are going up. So is there a way that you can make the most of your own house to keep it as warm as possible and minimise the need for additional fuel use? There are, you can start with simple ways, you can move on to more complicated ways and more expensive ones. You can spend a lot to save a lot long term. Let's speak with Conor O'Sullivan from Conor O'Sullivan Architects. Conor, I was going through the, the various list of suggestions that you have and, and I'm lucky enough that we have a south-facing house and the kitchen faces onto a beautiful sun trap and we have big windows. But that's the first bit. Even in the winter, we can make use of the sun in the south-facing part of our houses. Good morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Um, yes, we can. I mean, we um, it's hard to believe sometimes, but we get more winter sun in this country than we sometimes imagine. I mean, even today, and uh, in the last few days, although it's not quite winter, but we are getting a fair bit of sunlight. And in orientating the house or orientating or the way we live in the house to take advantage of that, we can actually make a significant difference to how we uh, heat the house and how we use the heat in the house without actually spending any money. Uh, so, could you maybe get a uh, tiny bit closer uh, to your phone for me, Connor? Sure, no problem, no problem. Can you hear me now? That's better. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good, good. Um, but uh, how we use the house is is the first way really we can start benefiting from how we can make a difference in terms of how how much the house is going to cost to heat over over a longer term. Uh, no, that that's a simple way. And as you said, not all houses uh, have that facility. Some some houses don't have. Uh, the correct orientation, yeah. and it's not easy to correct the orientation. So that's that's where you get into more expensive stuff. Well, what I suggest stuff. you, what I hear you saying is, if you have part of your house that faces south, that leave the leave the blinds up, leave the curtains open, and let the sun actually warm it naturally. Let the sun in, yeah, yeah, and e- even the parts of the house that that get some, uh, direct sunlight. How you furnish the house, how you decorate the house, paint it, etc., can have an effect on how you actually use that heat. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if you have, uh, let's say, a self-facing room, the best way to utilize that sun properly is to paint it in, in a brighter color, like white. Okay, architects have a, a reputation for painting everything white, but, but white walls in, in, in a house reflect the heat around the house, reflect right. the sunlight around the house, and actually don't, it doesn't cost very much to 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 paint a house but uh it 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 saddens me a lot of times when you go to these houses which have uh, bright aspects and suddenly you see dark browns and all sorts of horrible colors painted and it actually 
doesn't make any use of the sun properly in that in that room, and actually, in some ways, increases your energy bills. So, if the we, if the room is brighter, yes, it makes better use of the of the heat coming in. Yes, you can you reflect the heat around the house, and you actually benefit from the heat that's coming in. Um, and then in the evening, close out, close the windows, close the the curtains, or and then whatever heat that has come in, retain it as, as best you can. Yeah, and that's what I've been putting on the heat. You should close the curtains earlier, I think. Should you and the blinds if you have them? Yes, 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 definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 even subliminally, it makes it cozier. Yeah, you know, it, it might, it might not even be that much warm. Like, does heat actually go through the glass of the window? Uh, what happened? Well, glass technology in the last twenty years is is, is amazing. You, 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 what you can do now with, with with glass is is phenomenal. So you're looking at uh, upgrading from double to triple glazing, or upgrading from single to double glazing, putting different types of glass in windows. What what's called low emissivity glass. So with with, with basically what that glass does is allow heat in but traps heat inside. It doesn't allow it back out or doesn't allow it back out in the way that yeah. normal glass would. Right. You can also put films over glass where you don't have the option of putting in low emissivity glazing, right. which does a similar thing. Right. Um, in, in terms of lighting, um, now we've done this around the house gradually as things have blown or bulbs have blown. We've replaced them with LEDs or energy saving. They're not cheap, those bulbs. No, they're not. They're not. And it's something that needs to be looked at as well. I mean, there's a whole conversation we could have about how people are, are incentivized in this country to go down the, the energy efficient route. I mean, we, we, we're still not doing that properly, particularly in relation to what, the way other countries are doing it. Look, look at places like Denmark or Sweden or Finland in particular. And they have much better ways of incentivizing people to, to, to do the right thing. Um, now, Having said that, you know, low energy fittings are coming down in price, um, but we've still a, a way to go. It's not so much the fittings, um, it's the bulbs. The bulb, like the, 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 the LED the, the bulbs lamps, are very expensive. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah the lamps themselves are, 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 are expensive. But my attitude, and I've done it in my own house, is to replace them as, as a, let's call it a higher energy fitting dies, you, you replace it with a new energy efficient one. Yeah. Uh, on a on a one per one basis. So, and are they really efficient? Uh, you know, uh, Connor. In terms of, if I had maybe ten sixty watt old fashioned bulbs uh, around the house, and I ex- replaced them with the equivalent LED, like I'm saving myself real money, am I? You're saving yourself. Some of these fittings would would be operating at about ten percent of the energy use of of uh, the older fittings. Okay. Plus, they last longer. So, uh, essentially, you're not replacing bulbs as often as you, as you normally would. So, for instance, I've had I've got bulbs in my house that are that are literally there for I've I've forgotten how long I have them, yeah. and they're still working away like mad. You know, so um, you know, if I, if I had used a normal bulb in certain circumstances, I'd probably be on about maybe yeah. a dozen bulbs. So, spread over time, those bulbs are actually more cost efficient. Right. Now, your upfront cost is, is, is obviously, some, some of these bulbs cost five, six, and some yeah, of them are even the You move gradually yeah, yeah. around the house. Lastly, because I won't get much time, more time with you, boiler, service the boiler, get it checked, make sure you're getting oh, the most out of it. 
Yes, yes. I mean, you'd be surprised how infrequently people service their boilers. So what happens over time is, the, particularly with oil boilers, is, is that there's a build-up of, of grime and, and dust and dirt, and, uh, and the boiler isn't working at its optimum efficiency. Mm. And, that, uh, and a simple thing like uh, uh, servicing your boiler will have a significant effect on, how, uh, on the efficiency of the boiler and obviously how much uh, fuel it uses to do the job it was doing before it was serviced. And which is more efficient to keep at, in the coldest part of winter to keep the heating on all the time at a low level or turn it up or just focus on certain rooms when the weather is colder? Which is more efficient? The, uh, a constant background heat is the more efficient way of doing it. Um, Turning on and off radiators in rooms that you use and don't use is very inefficient because basically what's happening is the the rooms that are being heated are trying to heat more of the house. Uh, they're trying to heat the parts of the house where the heating mm-hmm. is off. Because so, heat, so you don't get more benefit in the kitchen by switching off another room. You don't get more benefit, do you? You don't. You don't. You don't because what, what's happening is that there are few fewer radiators trying to heat more of the house. Um, and uh, the heat will travel. Heat will go to the cold part. So what's, what what you're doing is you're encouraging heat to move from where you where you are to the places where the as heat. My, is. As my mother so used to say, idea. "Close the door. You're heating the yard." <laughs> <laughs> Connor, good to speak with you. We might we might talk again as we come into winter about things like changing your windows or things like doing more with your insulation. Uh, but there are things you can do not spending a whole pile of money to uh, save some money and be more energy efficient. That's Connor O'Sullivan from Connor O'Sullivan Architects. Thank you. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie the Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. Boeing Tractor and Vintage Car Run 2021 will take place on Sunday the 24th of October. Registration is at Boeing Hall at 11am and the run sets off at 12.30. Proceeds raised from the event are in aid of Marymount Hospice. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie the lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Speaking shortly to Minister Michael McGrath, Minister for Public Expenditure. Shortly on the opinion line at uh, 1850 715 996, the number that takes to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96, and the email opinion at 96fm.ie. Lots of questions and lots of observations to make with the Minister when he joins us. But people working from home, there's a piece in the Independent, people working from home are four times more likely to have a better work life balance then the pandemic began. New research also reveals that one in five workers haven't taken any annual leave as they felt there was nowhere to go and nothing to do. That is not a good finding. The survey came from Aviva Life and Pensions. It also shows that a quarter of people who take regular breaks don't actually take any exercise and one in five never have time to 
take breaks and also question number feel their workplace is not compliant with occupational health standards like let's face it working from home is the future for many of us uh, Neve Brady is a productivity coach uh, good morning Neve. good good morning PJ how are you good those findings are mixed uh, working from home some people find it very comfortable other people they find it crazy and very hard to regulate their time and take proper breaks what are your thoughts Yes, and I suppose it's it's important to talk about it now again because we are facing into the winter and as you mentioned, while some people are moving back to the office, quite a few people will still spend some time at home, PJ. So we we do need to kind of be aware of, of taking our breaks and trying to um, get that work-life balance when working from home. And of course, the biggest worry is that people have fallen into bad working habits. So even if they do go back into the office, they won't take their breaks there either. You know, so um, it is a worrying trend. It's a very worrying finding, yeah. Like if you're in the office, there comes a time in the morning or the afternoon where you toddle off down to the canteen, you make yourself a coffee, you, you chew the fat with with your co-workers, you might nip out if you're a smoker and have a smoker just to walk around the block at lunchtime. At home, you're in the kitchen. You don't take a break, you just keep going. You might make a, make a coffee and sit down at your computer and keep working. Yeah, that's exactly it. And like the finding says, as you as you pointed out already, one in five people don't have time to take breaks. Now, that's not to say that they're working nonstop all day. They're probably, you know, drifting off into social media for a while and going onto this website, that website, making a cup of coffee, as you said. Mm. But they're not trying to sort out a screaming child. Yeah, but they're not <laughs> exactly like I do to, so often. But they're not taking an actual break they're not intentionally taking a break from work and the problem with that is that if you imagine your phone PJ right so you're using your phone all day long right opening closing it it's working all day mm. if you don't charge up your phone what will happen you go flat you go dead mm. yeah or I go into that low power mode you know where it's like dull and half the apps don't work it's very sluggish so just like our phones we have to recharge you know, if we're working hard all day, we have to find those moments to have our breaks. And for those people who are going back into the office, as you said, it's great when there are those triggers, like the colleagues saying, do you want to go grab a cuppa? But remember, some offices now will still be very um, low capacity. So even those triggers won't be as dominant over the coming months for everyone. So you have to take ownership of yourself mm. and get back into those good break habits yourself, regardless of whether you're working at home out on the road or inside an office. If you're going to work an eight-hour day or a seven-hour day at home and you're going to start in the morning, you're going to be at your laptop checking your emails, shall we say, quarter past nine. Should you schedule, say, quarter past 11 and you sit wherever you work, well, listen, I'm taking a break now for 20 minutes, so I'll call you back. And you do the same at three o'clock, just like you would in the office. Should you schedule an actual break for mid-morning or mid-afternoon? Yes, I'm big into scheduling breaks and to your point there, 15, 20 minutes, that sounds great to me new, but I know that some people are dealing with a very heavy workload at the moment. So there's been other research that has shown that the workload of employees has increased massively due to the pandemic as well and how businesses have had to change. So like if anyone's listening... Oh. For 20 minutes? Are you joking me? Sorry, I lost, you, lost five, you there for a second, Neve. Five to ten minutes. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, I was saying that if I'm walking in my back garden because there's no children out here. Um, I was saying if anyone is struggling to take a 15 or 20 minute break, if they feel that's too much, start with five minutes. You know, schedule a five minute break at 11 o'clock. 
or a ten minute break at three o'clock. Like mm-hmm. any small break but does hold help. On. Well, like I, I'm, I'm a bit confused by that. Like, why would people be afraid to take a break and just say to whoever you're on the phone to, your boss, for example, "Look, Liam, I, I'll have that report for you in an hour." I'm now taking a 20-minute break. I'll talk to you when I get back from it. I'm tearing busy here all morning. I'm taking a break. Yeah. Do you know, PJ, if you haven't been out, we say, running for a long time, right? And if you've got used to sitting on the couch all the time, and all of a sudden I say to you, PJ, get up there and run 5K. Mm -hmm. Will you be able to do it? Will you feel that you can do that? Barely go up the stairs. No. Yeah. But what if I said to you, look, PJ, just start now by going for a walk around the block. Mm. And you can work yourself back up to your 5K. It's the same with any habit, good or bad, that we've fallen into um, due to working from home or whatever. It's true that the, your boss or your colleague probably doesn't mind at all if you take a 20-minute break. But you, but some people might feel that they can right now, and that's fine. So mm. I'm saying just begin, so with five. And work your way back up, just as if you're working your way back up to train any other muscle. Do you know? You're teaching um, yourself you you're to entitled to, is that it? Exactly. And you're just bringing back that that kind of sense of, oh, of course I can take my break, you know, and I can get out for my walk or I can make my cup of tea and sit down and drink it somewhere other than in front of my laptop or I can mm. do whatever I want to do, you know. But breaking and planning in your breaks, like you said, planning your workday so that you can find the time to recharge is, is critical, no matter where you're working now. And coming into the winter months, it's more important as uh, the days are shorter, there's less natural sunlight. So we need to get our energy in mind it. In, in terms of where you work and, and the setup, um, a lot of people, if their setup was checked by a health and safety officer, uh, it should be condemned. Yeah. How can you make your workplace reasonably healthy for yourself? Yeah, there's a couple of things that you can do. So you can try to position yourself by natural light. Um, and you can try to kind of bring in some plants and stuff like that. That's just for your own, I suppose, environment. Um, well-being and then really simple things like a footstool a wrist support um, put a few books under your monitor if your monitor is too low you know so there's small things that you can do um, I know Aldi and Little used to have those lumbar supports mm. you know the things that you can put on over a chair mm-hmm. so again if your chair isn't great you can use that so there's small things that you can do and they don't cost the earth you know and definitely ask your employer to expense you back I do know a lot of employers who are looking to have their employees continue to work hybridly are giving an allowance and are going through the process of checking the workspaces again but there are just a few small things that you could even do yourself in the meantime Now I know that you have uh, an event coming up uh, a workshop and we can find it through Eventbrite Neve Brady when is it on just briefly because we need to go to the minister and and we've got a very busy morning so when is it on and how can people get tickets yeah, so back to the important budget, I know, but I'm meeting people in person, real life, Brilliant. at the end of, um, I know, at the end of the month in October in Glendora shared offices in Laps Key. As you said, jump onto nevebrady.com or onto Eventbrite. And if, if anything that we spoke about today resonates with you, check out the event and I'm sure that they'll find it helpful. All right, good speaking with you. That's Glendora shared office. You'll find all the details on Eventbrite, Neve Brady or Neve Brady. Dot com productivity coach. Thank you. 1850-715-996. Up next, Minister Michael McGrath. Can we just talk?
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. In my house, all I'm hearing is berries and cream, berries and cream. I'm a little lad who loves berries and cream. Uh, I've researched into this. Okay. It comes from a 2007 ad for Starburst. It's gone bananas on TikTok. My kids are like every single minute of the day, they're shouting this from a room. Berries and cream. We need a cork TikTok trend. Yeah. We're going to be TikTok famous, Ross. Casey and Ross in the morning with no DC cars, Blackpool for Skoda in the city. A long standing tradition. In Cork. Open 24 7 at milldc.com. Cork's 96 FM. Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath. Michael, you had a big or a small cake yesterday that needed to be cut into a lot of small slices. Are you happy that everyone got a fair slice? The childcare sector, the providers seem quite happy. Uh, the people trying to pay for childcare, not so much. And nothing in there for families trying to struggle with massive rents. Are you satisfied with the way you cut it up? Good morning. Hey, good morning to you, PJ. Hope you're keeping well. Indeed. Well, look, I think we can look at a budget through the lens of, well, what did I get out of it? And it's perfectly understandable that every individual and every sector will look at it that way. And I'm happy to go through all of those and, and answer those questions. But th- there is an overall plan and there is a requirement on us in bringing forward a budget to have a plan for the country and to have a plan for the public finances and to bring uh, the public finances to a safe place overall and reduce borrowing levels because we have, as you know, spent over 30 billion euro last year and this year on COVID measures for PUP, for wage subsidy, for vaccines across the whole range. And so thankfully the economy here is rebounding very strongly and that has helped us. So Mm. recently, up uh, up until the budget, the official forecast was that the deficit this year would be around 20 billion euro. And now that has been updated and revised downwards significantly, thankfully, to 13 billion. And it will fall further next year to around eight. And the following year should be down to about one. We should be close to a balanced budget. So that really matters to people as well. Um, So I'm happy to go into the detail of the individual measures. Mm. But it is important that we have an overall plan uh, to help people back to work, to achieve recovery in our economy because that is what helps us to pay for the services and to meet some of the demands and legitimate demands that people have for spending whether it be in housing and healthcare and childcare and transport and all the different areas. But but you know know, Minister people look at the economy they look at the economy and they realise that everybody has to balance their books but they then look at their spiralling rent their cost of of childcare they they, they look at those things and they say fine balance the books but I am struggling here, Minister. Yeah, and we are trying to help people with targeted interventions. I think what we have uh, announced for childcare is really significant. Uh, in a full year, the injection of money into the childcare sector will be of the order of 200 million euro. And you might ask, well, what will we get for that? Well, first of all, it's a sector that has been hemorrhaging staff. We have very qualified staff up to degree level 
who uh, carry huge responsibility, caring for, educating our children. And I think we'd all, we'd all have to put our hands up and say that the level of pay is not appropriate for the responsibility that they have. And we're going to fix that. There is a process underway now between the employers and the trade union bodies to agree on new terms of pay. And that will result in improvements for the workers in the early years and the childcare sector. And the government is going to help to fund that. And we're going to put a lot of extra mm. money into the system. And in return, uh, we do want a commitment from childcare providers who are signing up to the National Childcare Scheme or the Early Years Scheme, uh, that there will be no increases in fees. And then we're going to help to reduce costs by expanding the National Childcare Scheme, by uh, extending the universal subsidy that's there for very young children mm -hmm. to apply that to older children. So this this is a really important initiative for childcare uh, that will, will definitely be of benefit to workers. Sinn Féin say that they would have cut the actual cost to the parent by third by taking over the wages of the childcare workers like for example the Department of Education pays teachers in schools and that this would have cost 86 million. Is there any sense in that? I mean in effect what they're saying that is for around the same amount of money in 2022 that they'll be able to reduce costs that dramatically. I don't believe that that is realistic. It's easy to say these things, PJ. When you're in government, you have to actually do it and deliver. And the money we're putting in here uh, will be of real benefit to the childcare sector, to the workers, uh, to the providers, but also to the parents. And this is the start of it. Like mm. this is the first, uh, the first time in a number of years where childcare has really benefited and featured. I mean, we have the second DCC a year, and for, for many parents, that's so important that we've been through it ourselves with, with our own children. It's a wonderful programme, and that's two years of free early years education, um, 15 hours a week for, for children, you know, from about over two and a half up to around five, for example. That's a real benefit, uh, but the costs are prohibitive. I, I know the cost that people are paying, and the government is going to, to help uh, through the changes to the childcare scheme. But mm -hmm. first and foremost, we do need to look after the workers because otherwise we're not going to have the capacity. We won't have the places because the mm -hmm. providers won't get the staff. It's a, it's a while since you or I, Michael McGrath, were in our 20s and starting out in, in life, trying to buy houses and trying to get together and raise families and yep. afford to have children and all that. And I said to the Taoiseach uh, when I was speaking to him, I said, I'd hate to be back in my 20s trying to afford, for example, rent and food and energy and heat and light and trying to, trying to yep. put my children on, on a start in life. What, what do you think this budget does for young people? Look, it's, really, it, it's been really tough on young people, the pandemic and then, of course, the housing crisis, which hasn't gone away. And in fact... You know, the pandemic cost us a lot of time because uh, a lot of houses, thousands of houses that were due to be built last year and this year did not get built because because construction was shut down. And so that had an impact on the supply and the availability of new homes and rental mm. accommodation. And we know what happened. So what's going to change that? Well, well, we're going to try and fix that by uh, dramatically increasing the supply of new homes. Uh, we have uh, a strategy now. Oh. His line appears to have dropped. Just check he's still there, Fiona. Uh, PJ, can I check first of all that you're hearing me okay? Yes, absolutely fine. Yeah, because there was, sorry, there was an incoming call and I think it interfered with the, uh, okay. the line there for a moment, so I apologise for that. Can I just finish the point in relation to young people sure. and, ho and housing? So, I mean, our plan is next year to build 
9,000 new uh, public houses, so social homes, and then over 4,000 affordable purchase and cost rental homes. Uh, and then we're going to support the private sector through the investment in Irish water to bring services, for example, to ensure that land can be developed and homes can be can be built. Quickly? And also Let that happen quickly? Well, look, we're going to be... Oh, you, you know our planning now. system is painfully slow. Um, yeah, I mean, we... It is it is slow, but we have about 80,000 units with planning permission across the country. So we need to get some of those activated and built. Uh, and then for, for young people, I do think the improvements in the, the student grant system, the SUSE system, are important. First improvements in over a decade. Uh, and I think the measure for a 50% discount in, in travel costs for young people is also really welcome. So we have tried to bring in some targeted measures. Mm. Um, in relation to, to social welfare... I uh, understand the point that your callers are making. I mean, we've done our best with the resources we have, like the increases in social welfare will cost well over half a billion euro next year. Uh, I take the point that it's only a fiver for uh, a pensioner, but if that pensioner is living alone, then they also get the living alone allowance Mm -hmm. increase of of three euro. And if they qualify for the fuel allowance, then they get... There are two ifs there, many of them don't. Many of them don't. I mean, nearly 400,000 do qualify for the fuel allowance uh, and we've uh, made that increase effective immediately, uh, which never happens. It's always from January, but because of uh, the high fuel costs at the moment, we made that effective immediately. Mm. So, look, I, I mean, I acknowledge there have been, in the last two budgets, no increases in core welfare rates. We have increased them by €5. Euro. Would we like to have done more? Uh, of course we would, but there is a cost. Well, 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 when, when, the, when, the, when the deficit wasn't as, as big as you thought, maybe, maybe you maybe you might have done more. Miriam has a question. She said, I'd like to ask the Minister why children's allowance is stopped at 18 for those still at school. And many children begin school at five. They're still in secondary school well past 18. It also wasn't paid for three months this summer. Many parents were under pressure with return to school expenses. Yeah, I, I accept that point. It has been that way now for uh, a number of years and parents have contacted me over time in relation to that. It wasn't possible to address that uh, in this budget because we had to prioritise. So we chose to uh, increase the core welfare rates and then to bring in a number of other important changes for carers uh, to make changes to the means test, for example, uh, and also in relation to the mean te- means test for disability allowance uh, to improve the working family payer. Pay- payment which is for families who are working but on very low income uh, to try and bring more people mm. into the net there improve the back to school clothing and footwear allowance also to provide an increase for the qualified mm. children Lots of small tweaks uh, in, in general I suppose there'll be some people would be grateful. Some people would say you could have done more. We, we're looking through health, uh, Minister, and a big spend on health, to be fair. But just 19 new ICU beds. We're still only at 59% of the European average uh, in terms of ICU provision, even after we were uh, massacred in, 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 the, in the pandemic. Our, our ICUs were completely overrun. Next one would be the lack of GPs. We, we've got a... a yeah. they're, they're leaving the country and leaving in yeah. droves. How do we stop that? 
Well, first of all, in relation to beds, the extra 19 is on top of an increase already of 66. So I think pre-COVID, the number we had uh, of ICU beds around the country was 255. 255. Now, now we yeah. put the, the 60 on to that, but we'll be um, our pledge, we're up to 340 now when... Yeah. That's nowhere near the 575 we should have on European averages. Uh, 340 is what uh, this budget will bring us to, uh, but we will continually improve the capacity in critical care. And I know that this is a priority for Stephen Donnelly, as is the increase in the acute beds generally. I mean, we have about 11,000 beds, uh, or we have. Let's face it, it's one of the reasons that the pandemic was so hard on us, Minister, because the EDs and the ICUs and the critical care beds became overwhelmed so quickly. That's 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 the that exposed just how undersupplied we are with critical care here, and just nineteen. That's a very small number. Well, the, the yeah, it is on top of the figure of sixty six. Not all of which have been delivered right now. Some of those will be between now and the end of the year, and then a further nineteen next year. And look, I think. You make a fair point. Uh, we didn't have enough critical care capacity. Uh, I accept that. That's why we are... It was exposed. It. Uh, it was very, very, very quickly exposed and ruthlessly uh, exposed it, by the pandemic, just how undersupplied it, we were. It was put under huge pressure. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, uh, alternative plans had to be put in place to, to increase the capacity on a temporary basis and only for the staff and, and the heroic work they did, um, we mm. would not have managed. And uh, I acknowledge that. And that's why we are increasing it. And we are adding about 1,150 beds okay. uh, to the acute hospital system generally. So we are making progress in relation to beds. Uh, and the recruitment of staff is a challenge, BJ, getting staff uh, to join the health service. We sanctioned And talking to them, you're talking to senior, very senior doctors during the week, it would appear that one of the reasons that is, is the working conditions. Um, we, we could spend all day talking about health and probably not solve it. So we'll move on a little bit. The, the Vendors Federation were quick out of the blocks uh, last evening, welcoming the extension of the um, support scheme for, for wages, but the hospitality VAT rate when it reverts to 13.5% in September of next year, we will have the highest in Europe. We already have the highest cost uh, of drink and, and associated products in, in Europe, or one of them. So why, put, why, why make it go up again next September? Uh, because we have provided a lot of supports in this budget for the tourism and hospitality sector. If you look at, for example, the 90 million I've provided immediately to Eamon Ryan for an aviation package to help rebuild connectivity to get more people to travel to Ireland. How much did that uh, will Cork get, get by the way? Uh, I don't have an exact figure. Uh, that will be worked out, but Cork will benefit, uh, absolutely, and it has benefited. So you just give um, DAA a lump sum or something and say, no, DAA it up? No, the, the, the Department of Transport uh, will uh, design a scheme um, to support particular routes. So it will be essentially to um, give a waiver of landing charges for routes that are really important for connectivity. So Cork Airport... That worries people a small that. bit, Minister. The designing of schemes, and that generally involves task forces and meetings and committees, which means that 90 million could sit in the bank and not a penny of it be spent. 
Well, I've given it immediately and I want as much of it as possible to be spent this year. And I know that uh, Neil McCarthy and the team at Cork Airport, uh, who are doing a great job of rebuilding routes and we look forward to the airport yeah. reopening. They've Indeed. entered into deals with Ryanair, for example, and they've done that on the basis that they are going to get government support. They will get government support. Come back again to, to the VAT rate, because it's another thing that hospitality are flagging very strongly. They can't get staff. And how does the VAT help that? And they want to keep the VAT at 9.5% because they've seen def- genuine benefit from it. Even before the pandemic, when the, the 9.5% was there, there was real benefit, not just for the industry, but yeah. for the consumer because they kept prices down a bit. Yeah, look, I, I was only really starting to answer that question when I when I touched on the aviation issue. That's just a small part of it. I mean, we have extended the wage subsidy scheme now uh, through to uh, next April, and we have also extended the local authority commercial rates waiver uh, for the hospitality sector to the end of the year as well. And I've given Catherine Martin uh, significant funding uh, for additional grants and uh, business continuity schemes for tourism marketing uh, so that she can rebuild build uh, tourism and the, the brand so that we can help to get more people into Ireland. Uh, it wasn't possible to extend the lower rate of VAT. Uh, it does come at a very high cost. Choices had to be made in this budget. Uh, we had limited resources and we believe that uh, when you look at the mm. overall package... But you know, there's the argument, be- right? If, if more people are spending money at a 9.5% VAT rate then you win on the swings after losing on the roundabouts. It does all work itself out with with a lower rate like that. Well, if you're uh, extending a reduced rate, then on budget day, you have to provide money for that because you have an official costing put on that by, in the case of uh, this tax measure, it would be by the Department of Finance. Okay. And the costing they put on that is of, is of, is of the order of hundreds of millions. Yeah. Uh, I take your point about buoyancy, that a reduced rate might lead to more activity uh, and you might get all of that back. That's not fully backed up with the evidence. There is a net cost uh, to tax reductions. Lastly, while, and it was great news, and I'm sure you were as happy to receive it as anybody else, that the economy is recovering faster than uh, you thought it would. But uh, when, says Bernie, or when Bernie asks, will we have enough of a recovery for everything to be back to to normal, to, to where it was? In what sense? What do you think she means by that? Does well, she mean restrictions-wise or the economy? or The economy. The, the, the income for you know people who lost out over the last number of years, you know, they, they feel that they have just barely got back what they had two years ago. Yeah, I think the immediate challenge, to be honest, PJ, will be uh, inflation and the cost of living. And uh, it is rising, and we acknowledge that. Now, there are different views internationally as to whether uh, most of the factors there are temporary in nature or whether we're likely to see a prolonged period of high inflation. The general view is that um, most of the factors are temporary. We've seen a strong rebound of the economy, supply chain issues, high transportation costs, shortage of labour, and the uh, overall assessment is uh, that that will level off over a period of time. How long do we think? 
Uh, well, we, we, we anticipate that going into next year, it will, it will start to ease off. We think it will probably get worse in the very short term uh, in the coming months. But across next year, we're forecasting inflation mm. uh, of just over 2%. So, so pain, pain before gain, unfortunately, in terms of supply chain and, and the cost of living. We had loads of questions and hopefully we put some of your points and some of your views to the Minister. Michael McGrath, thank you very much for spending some time with us. I know you've got a, a busy schedule. I appreciate you being with us on the Opinion Line. Uh, Michael McGrath, Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform. There's another suggestion that I had written down to say to the Minister with regard to childcare and, okay, the providers are happy, and we spoke to them earlier on, they're happy. But in terms of cost, what would keep costs down for an awful lot of parents would be when they have fine, healthy grandparents who are ready and willing and able to look after youngsters then you could give those grandparents a couple of bob top-up on their pensions. So if you gave, say, Nana and Granda an extra few pound on their pension to mind little Johnny and little Mary while mom and dad go to work, that solves two problems. It gives Granny and Granddad a bit more money and it takes the pressure off mom and dad. They don't have to have a second mortgage those are the kind of ideas you wonder will we ever have ideas like that around a cabinet table but thank you for it uh, whoever sent it in Premier League live back Saturday on 96fm.ie with Trevor Welsh it's all powered by TalkSport this weekend live coverage of Watford versus Liverpool that's at 12.30 Southampton against Leeds at 3 Brentford against Chelsea at half past 5 it's the Premier League live online with now stream live Premier League action with a now sports or sports extra membership and listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or indeed go to excuse me 96fm.ie Caller says, working from home, extra bank holidays. Thank goodness we're not facing into a global recession or anything. I am joking, of course. My son works in shipping. Oh, this is interesting. My son works in shipping and says, there's no way everything can be shipped around the world in the next six months. Spare your COVID money. The global supply chain is goosed. And it ain't just Brexit. And it ain't just anything like that. The global supply chain is in serious trouble. And there's no point in expecting to have it all sorted out by Christmas. And you'll notice with things like energy costs and all that, the cost of living, Minister left us with a a better, um, a better, how will I put it, actually a very worrying prospect that this is going to get worse before it gets better in terms of the cost of living. And there's not a whole pile in the budget um, to take that into account. 1850-715-996, just on the subject of a billion. Yeah. (laughs) I like this message, actually. This came in on WhatsApp. This is someone thinking. The word billion is thrown around like confetti, says this message. I was surprised to learn what a billion really means. A billion is a thousand million. That's a one with nine noughts after it. Thousand million. So, what's a billion? Well, a million seconds is eleven and a half, a half days. A million seconds. 
250 million seconds is nearly eight years. 500 million seconds is just under 16 years. 750 million seconds is just over 23 and a half years. A billion seconds is not short, not long short of 32 years. A billion seconds. A billion is a big, big number. And we're chucking it around like confetti at a wake. So when they say they're going to spend a billion euro on something, it's a thousand million euro. If you're having one second per euro to take 32 years. 1850715996. Lots of lovely pictures and videos going round in the last couple of days of what looked like a pod of dolphins in Crosshaven. Coming way up, like well up into Crosshaven. And uh, thankfully, people seem to have treated them with the respect they deserve and just let them get on with whatever they were at and whatever they'd come up for. And they do sometimes come up into the city. Uh, we're not too sure if they're still there or not. Um, maybe they are, if anyone in Crosshaven can tell us whether they are or not. But Melanie Cross is from Seal Rescue Ireland. Melanie, good morning. Why would they come up that far? Well, um, it could be food availability. Um, they are opportunistic and they are predators. So if there could be um, fish running, they might go that way. Or, um, you know, sometimes they just travel and we don't really know why. Um, so I guess the best recommendation, as you already mentioned, is to just give them lots of space, mm. to not crowd them, uh, to kind of, if you are by boat, to kind of keep a slow and steady course, so don't pursue them. And hopefully they'll just find their way back out to open sea. Mm. They're beautiful creatures to watch, and and through television and movies, we we've got an idea that they're that they're human friendly, and I suppose through fungi, who who was down in Kerry, are they in general? Well, you know, they're incredibly intelligent creatures. So just like humans, they have different personalities. So there are some that might be a little more interested and curious when it comes to people and some that might be shyer. Um, there have been lots of examples of um, dolphins that have been really kind of, you know, pretty comfortable with people. Um, so I guess it's it's just hard to tell. They're all unique individuals with different personalities. Um, but it is kind of one of those things that we tend to put human characteristics onto animals and dolphins do sort of have that permanent smile so you mm. kind of just always assume that they're friendly but it's always best to respect them from a distance because they're extremely strong large animals and they could hurt you accidentally so mm. it's always best to just keep a nice distance and respect them from afar because cute as they are and like you said they have that smile that nature has given them they are wild animals Absolutely. And they're very strong. They're basically all solid muscle. So they can definitely do some damage if they wanted to or even accidentally. Mm. We think they were herded out uh, towards Corabini. Uh, they may well have come back up. But uh, generally what happens, I think, Melanie, if they're left alone and not bothered, they'll go about their business in whatever way suits them. That's exactly right. I mean, this is all really their habitat. And I think because um, there's so much human impact on our shorelines and up rivers, you know, we probably don't see them as much as they used to explore areas like that. Um, so if they are kind of exploring new habitats, it's it's sort of just, you know, it is their their habitat. So if, if we can just allow them to behave their natural behaviors, I'm sure that they're just going to make their way back out. And, you know, we'll all keep an eye on them. And if it is sort of, if it 
turns into an issue and maybe their um, their safety and welfare is put at risk, there might be measures to take to sort of herd them out. Mm-hmm. But I would say at this point, there's no um, interference that would be needed. Yeah, yeah. What's what's most fascinating about them is, like you said, they they are a gorgeous creature to watch, and this very smile. Uh, that, they have, that they seem to have, but the fact that they're they're not a fish, they're an animal, which makes them most fascinating to watch. Yes, so they are mammals. So just like us, they have to breathe air. So they come up to the surface. They need to be able to have the ability to do that. Um, unfortunately, there's a big problem with uh, marine mammals, including dolphins, porpoises, as well as seals, um, getting caught in nets. And that actually is very dangerous for them because they need to be able to surface to breathe. And if they're held underwater, then they can drown. So it's really, really important to try to just give them distance mm. um, and ensure that they're not getting caught in fishing nets. How often do they need to come up? Oh, you're quizzing me now. I'm not exactly sure. Um, I do know that seals can hold their breath for up to 30 minutes. Really? Um, and yes, and actually cetaceans, they will rest um, with only half of their brain at a time so that they can um, stay conscious. So they, they're they conscious breathers. They actually have to think to go up and breathe. Whereas mm. humans, we can just breathe subconsciously. We yeah, don't have to think about they have it. To, they have to make, make, make an effort to do it. They are fascinating, and if anybody's watching them, just keep their distance and and they'll do what they do. Any word on Wally, Melanie, finally? Do we know where Wally is or where he went to? Well, Wally, our beloved walrus, um, since he he disappeared from Kirkhaven for 22 days, we did uh, think the worst. I was very, very afraid that he was out in the middle of the Atlantic somewhere. Um, But we were absolutely so incredibly joyful when he was spotted in Iceland. Um, Now, there is a live webcam on one of his favorite resting spots, just like he did in Ireland. He has taken on the habit of coming up on boat slips and man-made structures. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fortunately, he hasn't tried to climb onto any boats up there yet, so there hasn't been any destruction of property, but he has been observed feeding, um, most likely gaining weight, saving up energy after his incredibly long swim, mm. and it does look like he's doing well. Last I heard, he's still in Iceland, but I wouldn't be surprised if he departs there soon, and hopefully we don't hear from him again. We hope he continues his way up north to the Arctic, where he belongs to be with his yeah. own kind, and hopefully he won't make his trip back down to Ireland, but of course, if anyone does see any uh, marine mammals to uh, report them, especially out of habitat, marine mammals like a walrus is very interesting and it does give us really important data. Um, we need to know these numbers because we are seeing more and more Arctic species drift down our ways and it could be an indication that climate change is causing them to lose habitat and explore new areas. So really important for us to know where they are and just to keep keep people updated so we can ensure that we keep them safe while they're visiting our waters. And if anybody should see anything like like a walrus or indeed like a, a pot of dolphins or porpoises, they can contact your website. Absolutely. And very importantly, I'd like to mention that it is gray seal pupping season. So if you are out and about on the beaches and you do see a fluffy white baby gray seal, the mother might not be far away. So please keep your distance of mm. 100 meters and keep dogs on a leash. She won't and be happy are- with you. 
She will not be happy. They are very protective, um, but not protective to the point that they'll come try to scare you away. What will end up happening is they'll actually orphan their pups. They'll deem it too dangerous to get out of the water. So unfortunately, a large number of the seals that we have to rescue is just simply because people didn't know that and they approached the pup and then we had to step in. Um, So speaking of this, we are looking for Rescue Network volunteers to join us all over the country, particularly in North Cork. um, even if you're not, even if you're landlocked and you're not close to the coast, we are rescuing seals from all over the country. So we do need uh, volunteers, even in okay. the middle of the country, to help break up that transport. So you can check out our website okay. and you can join us for an upcoming training to join our network. All right, Seal Rescue Ireland, Melanie Crow, thank you very much. And that's it. It's been a jam-packed morning, edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry, and we'll see you tomorrow, just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.